Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 9-25-2022, and we're continuing where we left off uh, in our service with the thought of the week and prayer. Thought of the week, taken from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. And to know this law that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. In this life, most are searching for a purpose. Most are trying to find themselves and make sense out of their place in the world. Why are we here? And are we doing something that really matters? Are we just one inch in an anthill? I believe I can answer these questions for us. Is to know that this love, if you know that this love, then you must know the extent and dimension of it fully. To know this love is to know that the Father's eternal plan in, in detail. In this way, we can understand the person of God and see his motivation. Why did the Father do this? Why did he take the particular action? Why am I chosen before the creation of the universe? Why is spiritual wisdom reserved for, for me and for my glory? Why is the whole world, why is the whole creation waiting for me to be revealed? Why am I adopted into what? Why am I foreknown, elected, predestined, and glorified? Why am I an heir of God? Why do I have such an intimate relationship with Christ so that I am bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, Walk the way to oppose all these questions is twofold. The first object is to allow the Spirit to reveal through the Scriptures the meaning of such great blessings. What are these concepts? Foreknowledge, protection, adoption, and election. Once we understand this, then we can begin to think about why us, why, why me, why did God give me such a glorious external inheritance? You would then come to know the answer, divine law. At the very core of God is love. That's good. Um, the question is that why did God do this? Because that God is love, as we know. This is very personal. He gave us something at the at the, at the moment of salvation, he came into his righteousness. And because his justice must prevail, he did this for all those who believe in him. So this is for God to send it to the church that he may glorify us so we can be as the utmost like he is. And this is the thought of the week. And without prayer, to give us the way to prayer. Thank you, Dave. At this time, I would like to ask, is there anyone in need of prayer, any prayer request? Uh, Fred, I'm going to say for Dwight, he mentioned that uh, he was in need of prayer, so we're praying for, we want to pray for him. Okay. Is there anyone else? And me and my family, um, and also with those who are suffering in Puerto Rico, and for word of truth, Christian church. Okay, Dave. All let us uh, go to the throne of grace and mercy. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, uh, this opportunity to come before you and worship and honor you, Lord. Asking, Lord, that you would go before us, Lord, continually and continue to bless us and keep us. Uh, praying especially, Lord, 
for the word is truth. Search his past, uh, pastor, Pastor Doug Presley, that he might be, con- be inspired to con- be continually led by the Spirit and bless his the writing of his book as he goes forward, Lord. He has a very important message to the world that you will bless him and continually lead him. And asking, Lord, that you would also watch over the word of truth, my brother Michael's church and all its members, continually bless and keep them. Also, Lord, remembering Dwight, Lord, I don't know the, the need or, but asking you, Lord, to go by and look after him and bless him, keep him, and meet his needs, Lord, you know that they are. Asking, Lord, for continued prayer, Lord, for Dave and his family, that you would continue, Lord, to comfort them and bless them as we, you know. Um, the things that Dave has gone through, that you will continually strengthen him and keep him and bless him. Asking, Lord, that as uh, ambassadors, Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who paid it all for us, Lord, that we in humility might continue, Lord, to individually look at ourselves and humility and understand that we are in this intimate relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that we are here, Lord, as ambassadors. The old is gone and the new is here. And there's a message, Lord, that you want us to deliver to your people that you are not counting their sins against them. This is a solemn vow to, to accurately deliver the gospel to a dying world. Before I close, Lord, Puerto Rico, this, as we know, has been hit. We're in hurricane season, and Puerto Rico especially has been hit and devastated by this storm. Asking, Lord, that you will watch over all the people in Puerto Rico and bless them. Lord, these things we ask that you would continually watch over us and lead us in our calling as we have a tremendous responsibility here on earth that we might honor you and fulfill our calling and our destiny for you, Lord. In Christ's loving and holy name, amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Dave. Thank you, um, uh, Fred. We appreciate the prayers. Uh, we also want to mention that there is a storm brewing uh, that is headed our way as well in Florida here. We're praying for uh, safety for those who may be in the path of the storm, this current storm that is coming this week as well. So here we are. We are in <clears throat> John chapter 17, 25. We're going to get right to it. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. As Jesus nears the end of his prayer to the Father, he revealed much about his inner thoughts. What is at the top of his mind is revealed through his words in this last teaching and prayer to the Father. Can you imagine what many would see as the most important event in Christ's life was about to unfold? He was going to the cross, and yet his focus was on building his church. His prayer centered around uh, on the establishment and security of the church, not Israel. After this prayer, he would be focused on another part of his mission, he intensely prayed in the garden, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not as I, not my will, but yours be done. That's Luke 22 and 42. His death on the cross for us is the other work needed to complete 
he needed to complete before he could say, quote, it is finished in John 19.30. For sure, his saving work was critical for all in Adam's fallen race. He would receive the imputation of all our sins and be judged until the Father was satisfied. So we, we tried to look at this verse. We didn't get finished, uh, so we're going to pick up. We talked about what it meant to address the Father as right, righteous. We tried to understand some something about standards and how we all have standards. That's not odd for us to think in terms of that we all have standards. Uh, but what we do know is that our standards are not the same as God's standards. His standards are much higher than ours. His ways are much higher than ours. So we should not think that somehow um, our standards somehow match God's. In other words, what's reasonable to us, well, that must be also reasonable to God. It's not. God's thinking is something totally different. So is it close to what God? No, it's not even close. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and thoughts higher than yours. So it's not even close. And one of the reasons for that is that we're born in sin. We were not born perfect and then somehow corrupted by our experience. We were born condemned, imperfect, with a sin nature leading us to want to sin. That's the way we were born. We, didn't, we couldn't help it. It wasn't our fault that we were born in this way. And just like it says in Romans 7, uh, we were sold as slaves to sin. Adam did it. When he ate the fruit, all died. All in Adam died. And like it says in Romans 5.12, and in this way, death came to everyone. That's the way it happened. So what we want to do is, as we go forward, we understand when, when Jesus says righteous Father. But more than that, we understand that the Father's plan in all of his dealings with humanity, he's righteous. He's going to do it the right way. He's going to do it with the highest of standards when he executes his plan. And when Christ comes and does his work, he's going to do it with the highest of standards. When the Holy Spirit is here doing his work, Spirit of truth, he's going to do it with the highest of standards. And that is equivalent uh, with, in line with the Father's perfect standards. So that's what, when Christ says righteous Father, Christ, Jesus was righteous and the Father resurrected him. We already went through a lot of that, so I just wanted to, in recap, go over what that righteousness means to us. So to note, I can't go leave righteousness without saying that we receive righteousness through um, imputation. We are made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. It is not our goodness that God saves us. He didn't save us because we did something that was exceptional and he, his eyebrows went up and he said, oh no, I didn't consider that. No, we're not righteous. Not even one of us are righteous. It is Christ's righteousness that is our standing to recommend us to God. It is not anything to do with our behavior our attitude, or even how we feel about things. <laughs> it is Christ's righteousness that is our standing. We should always keep that in mind. It is a point where religious people sometimes have gone astray. So then we, we cover point two, though the world does not know you. The world, the current creation, which has fallen in Adam, and that's First John 9 and 10, the world, Christ was in the world, and the world did not know him. But they didn't know the Father either. They certainly didn't know the Father. Uh, so the Father's plan, this is point C, the Father's plan was kept hidden. This is 2C. Father's plan was kept hidden from the world, especially the introduction and inauguration of the church. 
Ephesians 3, 2 through 4. They didn't know it. Nobody knew anything. There's a, it's not just new information. It's a new age that we're in. It's a hidden age. So for people who don't believe in dispensations, uh, I don't know what to tell you because it says it right here in Ephesians 3, 2 through 4. I should say to you, surely you have heard, or have you heard, that there is such a thing as dispensations. And there was a hidden dispensation, one that was not revealed. People were going on in their dispensations, and they didn't have any clue about the one we're in now. Interesting. God hid it in himself. He did not tell anybody. He did not reveal it. But he had already planned it before time began. So nobody knew. So when we talk about the Father's plan, that's what we're talking about. So Father's plan for Israel, well, that was revealed to Israel. And we know about that. That's the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law and all that. We know about the uh, those Noah and all those uh, believers in, in past generations and past early times in human history. We know about them. But we didn't know about the Father's plan. It was hidden. So when it says, though the world does not know you, he's talking about the Father's plan. This is Jesus talking to the Father about himself. The Father's not saying, well, yeah, you got to come to know me. It's about me. It's about his plan. That's what he means by the world does not know you. It's not to say that, oh, the Father's habits and what the Father likes or what he doesn't like in terms of personal choices. It's about his plan, the eternal purpose that was hidden now is revealed. I think we hopefully uh, have made that point. And we know that the spirit of truth is employed. I shouldn't say employed. He's the one that the Father has given the role to make this age, the Father's plan, everything that was hidden, revealed. It's his job to do that. And obviously, it's, it's, Christ is in there too because the Father has given everything to Christ, which is that, well, that's why we say we have the mind of Christ. And now we're getting into where we left off. Point F, I'm going to, uh, what will the world say to, the, uh, to uh, what the Spirit of Truth has revealed to us? What will they say to this information? 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that they would think it is foolishness right I, I should read it why not why don't I read that so that we can at least first uh, Corinthians 2 14 I know we read it last week the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So, it's very specific what the Spirit of Truth teaches. He's teaching, he's, in, he's here, his role is to teach the Father's plan. What, what plan is that? The plan that was hidden. The Spirit of Truth is not here to teach Israel, to, to put us under the Mosaic Law, to help us uh, be more uh, better uh, observers of the law or even to love the law of, of Moses. The Holy Spirit is here to help us come to love the Father's plan. That's what's going on. That's what we're about. That's what the Father is doing. If you want to know what is the Father doing in heaven right now, well, it's all about the plan. When I look at John 15, the Father is right there. He's is like... It starts off like this, John 15, 1. I am the true vine, that's Jesus, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So is the Father involved in all of this? Absolutely, according to Jesus. He's right there. He's the gardener. He's the one who planted everything right in the first place. He's the one that designed the garden, and he has. He's the one who's cultivating it as well. So we we want to make sure we understand uh, some of this 
language uh, that the Holy Spirit is coming to us to bring. He's the spirit of truth. And uh, yeah, the world is not going to understand. They're going to say it's foolishness. And the reason they can't understand it because they wouldn't submit to the Holy Spirit to understand. So do you, there's two categories of people who may not understand the spirit of truth. One would be unbelievers. Well, that goes without saying that unbelievers would not understand what the spirit of truth is saying. That's <laughs> no doubt about that. But even believers who are saved may not understand what the spirit of truth is saying as well. They may reject it. Now, in the first century, we had this condition. And I would say as well, in the day we live, we have this condition where believers are taking their cue from Israel. Taking, they're, they're taking their doctrine and their love for, for, for the Mosaic law and all that it says. And they're occupied with the characters there. They want to tell you what Ezekiel did, what David did, what Joshua did, and names that I can't even pronounce. And they're busy doing all this because they're occupied with the old revelation, the revelation that was given through Moses. When God has given us this new revelation, where he talks about the Father has revealed this, and the Spirit of Truth is here to tell us how to interpret and understand that information. It's important that we, we get this point. It's key because it'll affect how we view what comes from the spirit of truth. And we're going to say it's foolishness, even if we're Christians and we don't get this information from the spirit of truth. Uh, it means that in the first century, many did not keep pace with what God was doing. God showed the direction of where he was going through signs, wonders, and various miracles given by the Holy Spirit. Well, some people didn't pay attention to that. So what did, what did they do? They just ignored that and said, no, we're going to stick with the Mosaic Law. We believe in Christ, but we're, we're going to stick with the Mosaic Law. Well, today, most Christians recognize that they're not under the Mosaic Law, but they borrow from it so that they feel like they are supplementing what we have in Christ. Uh, not so. So, this is, when they say it's foolishness, they cannot understand it because they're not looking to the spirit of truth who was given to us for this purpose, to reveal this information. You're not going to get it anywhere else. You won't find it in the Mosaic Law. You won't find it from studying Gentiles or ancient civilizations. The only way you're going to get this information, the will of God for your life, is from the spirit of truth. All right. Point G. One day the world will see our glory, the glory of the new creation in Christ. So there's a couple of verses. We kind of covered this. This is sort of, as we look at John 17, it's almost like in review because we covered a lot of these principles uh, before. So Christ says in John 17, 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. We know this is achievement glory. So we are identified with the person of Christ. So uh, through the baptism of the Spirit. So whatever is true of Christ, whatever, when it says baptism, the key word in baptism is identification. We learn that. Whatever baptism it is, one object is identified with the other object. So it, Christ isn't identified with us. We are identified with the person of Christ. We're not identified with his earthly nature that was here when he walked the earth. We're identified with his glorified nature. He has glory. So fact is, we receive that achievement glory. Like he said, Father... Uh, now, like in verse 5 where he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So the glory we have, what, what Christ is doing is he's very pivotal here 
in bringing many sons to glory. So if Christ would submit, if Christ would finish the work, if Christ would do what the Father wanted him to, then he would receive glory. And he has done that. And in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So this is new age, this unique relationship, the oneness that we have with the Father, with the Son, is part of the dynamic of the new creation. This is part of, and this is true for everyone in the new creation. All of them may be one as we are one, not just some of them. The whole, uh, everyone in this dispensation, everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ in this dispensation, as we get from verse 20, is going to have this spiritual dynamic that we are one with Christ, we're, and, and that one with Christ, that is what the baptism of the Spirit brings, will also bring us oneness with the Father. <clears throat> so we should understand that. And it doesn't have anything to do with human nature because um, the Father doesn't have human nature. And we have the same oneness with the Father, the same oneness we have with Christ. So... We enjoy this new dynamic, hopefully. The only way you're going to learn about this information is by the Spirit of Truth. That's it. He's the one who's teaching it, nobody else. So, <clears throat> one day the world will see our glory. Now, even though we have it, we don't, we, as believers in Christ and the new creation, positionally have this glory. We'll, we will experientially have this glory later. At, and I will reference John, uh, Romans 8, 20, and 21. Let's look at that. Uh, not that we haven't read it before, but it's always seeing it in different shades of light. Romans 8, 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So there it is. Even creation itself is waiting for this glory to be revealed. Why? <laughs> this is to say the creation was put in play. God said, I'm going to create all things because of this plan, this plan where the glory would be revealed, where he would bring many sons, it says, into glory. So that's the reason why all creation is waiting and groaning, uh, waiting eagerly to see who we are, because this is what the Father created the creation for. He didn't create the creation just because. He didn't create the creation just to have... Uh, the nation Israel, here's the reason why he created the creation. And that's why, personified, the creation is groaning in pains of childbirth. What happens, and this is verse 22, I don't know, I wouldn't get there, but we know the, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So right now, creation is waiting. It's like a, a pregnant woman about ready to give birth, right? That's the analogy. Just imagine what that's like. Wow, you know, there's one thing you know, the bigger, they get bigger, the stomach is bigger and bigger, and before you know it, you know what's inevitably going to happen, birth. Well, we are that birth. We are what's coming forth that the creation will see and resonate that, oh, okay, now, these the sons will have their rightful place. So that's that's why we're going to be in that place of honor, of glory. I mean, imagine that the creation, right? They're waiting to see the glory of the new creation in Christ. That's what God planned. This is the whole ball. This is the whole enchilada, as some would say. This is it. We are. And I, if you don't, if you miss this point and you fail to see the significance 
of what God has planned for the church. You're thinking, oh, we're just an extension of Israel. Israel did these mighty things and fought valiantly and, and all that. They triumphed over their enemies and we're going to go out with the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. All that. People just think we're just an extension of Israel. It's all about the gospel. But no, God had a different purpose for us. And we're seeing that as it is developed. It was planned before God even created anything, before he created all things. He had a reason for doing it. We are that reason. We are the reason God created all things. Can you keep that in mind? But keep that under your hat. Don't get arrogant about it. Don't don't run around thinking that, well, you know, everything revolves around me. It does, <laughs> to some extent. But this is who you are now. The world doesn't know it. So you could go out, you know, I already told you what the world's going to say to this. You know what they're going to say? You could all say it together. Foolishness. That's what they're going to say if you go tell them. But all you're doing is, I just believe what it says here. That's, I just believe it. Have I checked the context? Yes. Do I know that's what it says? Am I the ones in, or are we the ones in question? Yes. I'd like for somebody to say, no, Doug, this is not the context. So we could talk about why it is the context. Because this is what the word is telling us. This is what the spirit of truth is telling us. That we are the reason for all things. That all things exist because of the Father's plan for the church, for the new creation in Christ. All right, we have to move on. There's a lot more we could say about that, that point, that glorious point. But man, hopefully you get the point that we are something special before God. He says, he says, in the coming ages, he will show his incompar the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness through us in Christ Jesus. We didn't achieve anything. All we did is we're the recipients of God's love and his choosing. That's it. And we show up. We're here. The spirit of truth is engaged because that's why we understand it. Otherwise, we wouldn't. Point number three. So the verse says, <clears throat> Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, Jesus says in point number three, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. Let's look at this. So point A is the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. That's Luke 10, 22. Let's look at it. Luke 10 and 22 says it this way. All things have been committed to me by my Father. Now notice that. This is, this is, so what are we talking about here in this whole father-son thing? One of the things we're talking about is adoption. When Christ is said to be the son, that's not by mistake. That's Roman-style adoption. And remember what we said about Roman-style adoption. It is the greatest transfer of wealth and power. Greatest transfer of wealth and power. So, so the father has this plan where he's bringing many sons into glory. It's, it's the father's plan. But then he gives it to Christ. It'd be one thing if Christ says, this is my plan. I'm telling you. I, no, but this is the father's plan. Christ. So Christ is admitting to you. He's telling us where he got the plan from. It's the Father's plan, and it's been given to Christ. Christ is the Son, so this is the greatest transfer of wealth and power. been given to Christ. Christ is telling you this. And in Matthew, at the end, he says, All power in heaven and in earth has been given to me. All power. Now he's saying, All things have been committed to me by my Father. And then he goes and talks about the plan. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. But not just no one knows, no one knows. And to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. 
Who did the son choose to reveal this plan? We already saw it in John 17, where he chose the disciples, those 11. My, it was, Judas was there, but Judas left, remember, to go betray him. And so it was just the 11 there. And Christ said, well, I've chosen them. I did what you told me, Father. I chose them. I, told, I gave them the words you told me to tell them. They have accepted those words. And yes, so Christ revealed this information to the disciples. That's what he means in verse 22 here. Father, accept the Son. No one knows this information except to whom the Son chooses to reveal. Who did he choose? He chose to reveal those 11 disciples. And they became the apostles for and in the foundation of the church. Christ said it, on this rock I will build my church. So that's the gospel. Peter declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. On this rock, I will build my church. See, the church is not built on the thought that Christ will come. Christ has come. He is the Christ. <laughs> this is the He's the focal point of salvation. He's the door to the new creation as well. So in John 1.18, we have a very similar verse as well. So 1.18, he says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. That's interesting. Uh, he made it, We know he only made him known to some, not everybody. But interesting, this verse is so interesting to point out at this point. It says, no one has ever seen God. And he's talking about, Christ is talking about God the Father here, or John the Baptist is. But the one and only Son, who is himself God. So the Son is God. He is himself God. That goes all the way back to John 1 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know what they were doing in that beginning. What beginning is that? Well, through him all things were made. Without him there was there, there was nothing that has been made. That, that's the beginning of creation of all things. So before that, they got together and they planned this thing. They planned it. And then they chose the disciples, the ones who would be the foundation of the world. But then we go to verse 20, uh, 1720, which is also interesting. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Okay. Who's them? The disciples, who later became the apostles and in the foundation of the new creation, the church. I pr my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. What's their message, right? This unique message that we have. Well, Christ is the door, right? Christ says, on this rock, I will build my church. You've got to come through the door of Christ. But then you're ushered into this new creation status where we're baptized into, the, into Christ and so forth. We're in the body of Christ. That's a huge analogy given to us. So that we are in view here. We are those who believe in him, in Christ, through their message. Every one of us today are those, and we believe. We believe in Christ, right? It's not the objective is not believe in the church age doctrines. The objective first is to believe in Christ. And if any man, 2 Corinthians 5:17, is in Christ, the new creation has come. Old things are, are passed away. Behold, all things are new. So that's us. We're new never before seen. We're the ones that Christ revealed it to. We are the ones in view here. And so when we look at that, the first point, Christ says, I know you and they know that you have sent me. They is the disciples, right? I know you and they know that you have sent me. So the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. That's the relationship they have. And Christ told you, all things have been committed to me by my Father. 
Well, what's that Father's plan? Christ is an, the integral part of the Father's plan. When we are, when we are predestined, we are predestined to be conformed to the very image. Our lives are to be marked out to be exactly like His. Two lives are merging, right? When we see that predestination, we are conformed to the image, the direct image of His Son. That's our predestination, to be like Christ. We're part of the new creation. Just like Adam was, and, and so are those who are of Adam, of the ground, of the dust. So the second Adam is the man from heaven. Just like he is, so are we. Just like him. We are conformed to that very image of his son. So that's the first, that's A. Point B, I know you, right? Well, so we're just breaking the phrase down a little bit. I know you and they, uh, and they know you. Just, I know you. Jesus knows the Father because it is part of their mutual possession. So when, it's, so when, we, when we talk, we, we should just know mutual possession is something that is positional for us initially, but we can enter into the experience of it as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as 2 Peter 3.18. So it's positional for every believer in Christ, as we already read in John 20 and 21, but experience, to experience it, we got to grow up some. We got to be taught by the spirit of truth. We got to allow the spirit of truth to lead and guide us into all truth. Right? This is part of the experience. Well, Christ did. So when it came to the mutual possession, when he says, I know you, Jesus knows the Father because it's part of their mutual possession. And I'm pointing out that mutual possession here for Christ, it's experiential. Christ was telling people, he says, yeah, the Father's in me. Well, positionally that may have happened, but Christ was talking about it experientially. He says, Christ, the Father's in me. In fact, the very words I'm telling you right now are the Father's. The Father's the one who told me what to say and how to say it. It was very specific. He said to Philip, Philip, what do you mean show us the Father? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Why? Because it was the Father walking in Christ. It was the Father who was the one teaching them, who was talking to them. It was all about the Father's plan. And mutual possession is where the, you are able to share the life of another. Christ, The Father didn't have a body, but he was able to possess Christ in such a way as to live through Christ and to experience what Christ was experiencing on the earth. And Christ, what is him, well, the, the, the part where the Father's in Christ, well, what about Christ and the Father? Well, that's the part where Christ is able to ascertain everything that the Father has, and that is his plan. So Christ is there, and, you know, learning, and everything has been committed to him, and he's learning all about all the things that the Father has, whereas Christ, or whereas the Father is in Christ, out there in the world, teaching the disciples, telling them about I'm the, the gardener and Christ is divine and all that. He's the one teaching. Christ said, the very words I speak are his, not mine. Yeah, it's the Father in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So that's the mutual possession, right? Every believer has it positionally, but they may be one as we are one, right? I and them and them and us, right? That's mutual possession. But to really experience it, we have to grow up. It's, it's a matter of growth that enables us to submit and surrender to that truth so that where those members of the Trinity will become active in us. Like it says, Christ, in, like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, but nevertheless, I'm alive. Well, what does that look like, Paul? He said, but, Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, here now, is by faith, the doctrines of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
he he lives with dependence on the thinking of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. I have the mind of Christ. And Paul is saying, my life is lived where Christ is alive in me. That's mutual possession and experience. So we could talk more about it. There'll be more verses that are going to come up and we can talk about it. Point C, the Father is in Christ. And so the Father can now express his life and eternal purpose through the visibility of of Christ's life. This is just to reinforce the point I just made. Right? John 14, 24 and 31. Let's look at it. John 14, 24 says it. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. The words you hear. What words? Whoever has my... This is going back to verse 20. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Interesting. These words are in red. So, so, so the fact that these words are in red in my Bible, that means Jesus spoke these words. Really, we might need another color. Because Jesus tells us in verse 24, the words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father. So maybe we should make it green or something. Maybe, maybe we'll make the Father's words green because they're speaking through Christ. So we might not have any red letter editions. We might also have green letter editions because the Father is speaking. The Father has visibility here in the world. When we say visibility, we don't mean he has a body. Wasn't that perfect that where it says in Colossians chapter 1, it says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. That's the Father. So the Father is, is made visible where he is invisible through the person of Christ. The Father has visibility in the person of Christ. Yeah, it kind of works to where he has access to the life of Christ that is on the earth. And who do we who do we see? We see the Father speaking. We see the Father teaching, telling him Father is the one telling him where to go. So in verse 31, but the it says but he comes so that the world may learn this is what the world needs to see, his total submission to the Father. I love the Father. So that love is demonstrated by his, his devotion, his commitment, his adherence to the Father's plan. He says, I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. There it is, total submission. Well, it's not my life, Christ said, it's his. I'm giving it to him. All things that from the Father belong to me, and therefore I'm given everything I have to the Father. There's the mutual possession. Yeah. So let's keep keep going. I think we, we have sufficient time to look into this more. So point D, Christ is in the Father. Right? The Father, and this is what it means for Christ to be in the Father. The Father has surrendered everything he has to Christ. What did we mean? He, he gave everything. His eternal purpose and his motivation and his plan to accomplish it in time. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's what Christ says in uh, John 16, 15a, the first part of it. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And we already read the other verse in Luke 10, 22, where it says, you know, all, all things have been given to me by my Father. So we see not only the Father's plan, as we said, which is his eternal purpose, but we see his motivation, right, to fulfill that plan. His motivation is, now guess who has adopted that motivation and called it love? Jesus. The world must learn what? That I have this motivation? That I, no, he says that I love the Father. Same thing. 
And that love is what Jesus himself has, which is submission to the Father's plan while here in the world. We saw that also in Philippians, where it says, although he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in likeness of human flesh. And what did he do? He humbled himself, became obedient to death. That's what he did. He allowed the Father to fully possess him. And that led him to the cross. Uh, even before the cross, it led him to establishing the foundation of the church, which is the eternal purpose. So, that's point D. Just to understand, let's read it again. Christ is in the Father. What does that mean? We said the Father is in Christ. We're talking about mutual possession. Now, let's talk about the Father. What does it mean for the Father is in Christ? Uh, so, and so the Father can now express his life and eternal purpose through the visibility of Christ's life. Point D, Christ is in the Father. The Father has surrendered everything he has to Christ. His eternal purpose, his motivation, and his plan to accomplish it in time. Uh, quote, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Notice, it's mine. Isn't that interesting? He could have said all that belongs to the Father is the Father's. He's letting you know where he got it from, but he's also letting you know he has embraced it so that it is his. Do you see it? Do you see the Father's eternal plan is yours? It's yours. That's what Christ said. It's mine. It belongs to me. It belongs to us. That's why Christ says, if you look at John 16, 15, he continues, that's why I said, right? He says, all that belongs to the Father's mind. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me and he, what he will make known to you. He's making it known to us. Why? Because it's ours. It belongs to us as well. It's not just his. He, everything he has, we share. So it's ours. But we're, that's why he's making it known to us. That's why it's ours. He's telling us in the first place. It's like, you know, in the military, we have security clearance. Information is not just given to everybody. It's only given to those who need to know, those to whom it pertains. And that's us. It pertains to us. Point E, let's keep going. Further, quote, this is why I said, <laughs> I think I'm ahead of myself here. I hope you get the point in all of this and the documentation of it all. This is why I said the Spirit will receive from, from me what he will make known to you. That's the last part of John 16, 15. Take your time and look at those verses. Understand what is being said there. Point F. They know that you have sent me. Who knows? Who's they? The disciples know. This is a reference to the context of the finished work of Christ for the church. This is, this is what Christ had to do. He was tasked with this point here. Um, 17.4, when Christ said he finished the work, let's go to it. Not that we haven't covered this, but it's good to make sure we put it all together. 17.4, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. 17.6, I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them and they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Pray for them. And it goes on. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. And all, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. That was point, that was point F we just went, went through. Just to show the work Christ had to do. And just imagine this work. I'm just pointing it out. In point F here, that the work is not just well 
just let them know you're the Messiah. Notice, none of that is letting them know you're the Messiah. It is about this new dispensation that's coming, the spirit of truth that's going to be the, the architect of this new dispensation. He's going to lead out. And, and, and not only that, it was against their theology. The disciples had to do things. Look, in, in Acts, you, you saw the, the, the vision that Peter had with the, the unclean animals, all these unclean animals, and, and the command came to Peter, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Peter was like, no way would I do that. Why would I do that? So in other words, this is against our theology. But guess what? We're in a new age now. We've got a new purpose. God the Father is finally able to, to bring these many sons out into glory. And so, yes, Peter, this is what you need to do. This is, you're not in Israel anymore. This is a new plan. We're a new creation. All that, right? He's teaching them. It was gradual. But the, the disciples needed to orient to the new age as well. So it wasn't just, oh, well, you're sure, Christ, of course. Yeah, this new things is going to happen, sure. No, it was against their theology. And they were puzzled a bit. Even that when Christ ascended, he said, well, it's, they said, well, is it this, this time where you're going to restore the kingdom now to Jerusalem and all? Is this, but, this, this is what we think, and our theology is going to happen next. But no, that wasn't what was going to happen next. Point G. The disciples know the basics of the Father's plan. Jesus' introduction to them, to the Father's, is, is to reveal the direction and the details of the coming plan. That's what, it was, that's what he was tasked with. And he did a fabulous job. Why, why do I say that? Because we're here today, standing on the foundation that was given. We're here. The information has not been lost. And Satan tried as he might, tried as he may, to, to destroy the church. He cannot. God's purpose for the church stands, even though people are confused, some have lost their way. The truth of it all, the spirit of truth, has been able to function and, and to make this information known. Point H, obviously, their understanding is not complete. But the advocate, right, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Christ is saying, yeah, I can't tell it all to you. I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. That's John 16, 12. <clears throat> much more to tell you about this age, this glorious age. But I can't tell, I gotta just give you the introduction of it. Because right now you can't understand, you're not gonna be able to understand. You won't be able to bear it. You won't be able to handle it. Because it'd be, you're in the middle of the transition. That has to be hard. Have you learned new things? When you come, when new things are presented to you, how well do you take them? How well do you throw out what you previously held and embrace that which is new? How, are you, how well are you at change, I should ask? Because we're very quick to look at the disciples and say how slow they were. Right? Even Jesus said they were in the road to Emmaus. He wasn't talking about the disciples, but he said how slow you are to, to understand the things that have happened. He's talking about his resurrection and what would happen. And even though he was walking with those disciples and he was teaching them, they were still slow. So finally they said, oh, it was the Lord. They saw it. But they didn't understand what Christ had to go through. And listen, we can't say that the disciples are so deficient that, you know, they, they were products of their generation, their uh, being in the nation Israel, Jews. And now something is presented to them completely different. And first, hey, you're not under the law. Can you imagine they've been under the law all their lives? 
And now they're not under the law. How do they function? God has a plan. And the Holy Spirit is detailing it, documenting it, documenting it in the New Testament. It's all going to be laid out for them, bare, so that they could see it. But their understanding wasn't complete. But thank God for the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit just for this purpose. Now, I know people have assigned all sorts of purposes for the Holy Spirit. Intuition, hunches, you know, oh, I feel that you, you know, this is happening. I, I, I got a feeling or, you know, emotion, all kinds of whatever doctrines that people want to say, they say the Holy Spirit said it. The Holy Spirit has specific information. He has a specific role. Don't confuse. And you know who laid out that role? Jesus. He laid it out in the foundation of the church what the Holy Spirit would reveal and how he would reveal it. And yet people, they just don't pay attention, I guess. But the goal is that we do allow the Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. That means he has somewhere to go. I mean, it's defined information, right? It's not just, well, whatever we think, whatever we want to think, it's okay. If that's the Spirit. He's moving me. I'm moved. That's not it. Spirit is specific. We have to stop thinking in terms of this, well, the Spirit works in mysterious ways. We, and our eyes get real big as we say this. We don't know. You don't know. You can't say. I can't say. It's just whatever. He, no. Get rid of that. Jesus said that what the Spirit of Truth will do. He, he's, he laid the foundation. Don't don't confuse things on purpose. All right. So point I. This is our last point in verse twenty-five. Christ revealed the Father to to those chosen disciples. The information disclosed remains as foundational for the church. It remains as foundational. I like what it says in. John 1 18, which we already read, but I'm going to go to John 14, 6 and 7 to close this thought out. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. I hope it will be enough for you to see the Father. What do we mean see the Father? See the Father's plan. It is enough for us, isn't it? It's more than enough. It's more than we would ever... Imagine, whoever thought or imagined, that's the kind of enough it is for us. It's, it's overwhelmingly enough for us, if that's a word. I'll use it. That's 14.6. That's what Philip said. Show us the Father. Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Yeah, it's something completely different that is available to us. Christ revealed the Father in such a way, which is mutual possession. That is, he didn't say, well, let me just tell you what the Father said. No, the Father is in me telling you himself. He's here. He's literally in me telling you these things. So when we say Christ revealed the Father, that's the spiritual dynamic that was going on in Christ. It wasn't just, oh, well, it's like the Mosaic Law. Well, let me quote what the law says. The law says thus and so. The law was given through this, and you know this is how we got it, and it's in a book somewhere, and, and this is how it is. No, this is personal. This is a dynamic that goes on. And guess what? This dynamic that was happening in Christ 
is extended to the entire new creation. It's available to the new creation as well. It belongs to us. So as we have thought about these verses in, in detail that we have, hopefully this resonates with us. As we get to the last verse and we're about, and we're going to close out, but we're about to uh, end John 17 and let's look forward to this next verse and the review. Let's bow our heads as we close. We're grateful, Father. We're thankful for all that you've shown us and the detail and the word that you have given us. And it is the spirit of truth that allows us to see into your heart, your understanding, so that we understand you better. We know what your plan is, that you have deposited in Christ and now made available to us through your spirit. Thank you for the particular roles that the Holy Spirit plays. I know he's not here to glorify himself. I understand that. It is all about the eternal purpose. So we thank you for his role. We thank you for the role of Christ, which we could not do without. Who he is is who we are. We are part of him. We are the new creation. We thank you for choosing us <clears throat> in him before the creation of the world. Father, we pray that you will continue to challenge us as we continue to look at your, your word with such the magnifying glass of the spirit of truth and that you will teach us, continue to teach us even more so that it will not be us here but it will be Christ walking in us as we live and breathe. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you.